0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, That was a movie clip from a Pixar movie called Inside Out. Uh, It's a great movie that explores uh, our emotions uh, in oneself. Now, this fall, as a church, we have been sorting out our own emotions as we journey through taking a look at seven deadly sins. Um, Just a small series for us to tackle in the fall. Um, Drew phrased it best when he said that we are doing this to take out a mirror and ask the Lord to reveal what is true in our lives, being confident that the Lord is there to rescue us. Yeah. And so we're exploring one sin or vice, right? And its oppositional virtue every week. And this week, are there any guesses as to what sin we are going to tackle based off of the clip we just watched? Anyone? It's wrath! It's wrath. <laughs> If you said anger, you aren't that often you're guessing because anger is one of six good, healthy, normal, basic emotions. There are six basic emotions. Anger is one of them in, that exists in our psyche, okay? However, wrath is what we would label the actionable form of anger, okay? Anger is the feeling, the emotion that you have, and wrath is the acted behavior. Now, I don't know if you remember this about me, but I am one of the resident psychology nerds on this pastoral staff. Um, so I want to remind us of a few facts of how our brain function works before we move on this morning. Is that okay? Do you remember this picture of the brain? I've used it before. It's from Colin Weber. And I want to point out just two of the regions in the brain. The prefrontal cortex, all the way on the left, it's the bright green highlighted area. Okay? And that sits at the front of your brain and its job is to be reasonable or logical. Okay. The other region of your brain I want to point out is the amygdala. Everyone say amygdala. Okay. That is the, do you see like the whoosh right in the middle? Yeah. Okay. That's the amygdala. And remember with me that it is the amygdala's job to process fear. It triggers anger. Okay. And it motivates us to act. Now, these two parts of your brain are always simultaneously working together. The amygdala is the emotional one. The prefrontal cortex is the logical one, okay? Now, at any point in time during this relationship that they have, the amygdala can be triggered and override the logical prefrontal cortex, okay, into action. It can cause you. It can override. We're going to act just like we saw in the movie. The foot is down, right? (laughs) Um, I actually use this movie clip as an example of wrath to create some type of levity in talking about anger and wrath because I don't think that I need to give many examples to refresh your personal brain of times that either you have been on the receiving end of someone's actionable anger or been the one giving and, re- and like yeah. doling out wrath, okay? Our culture right now is at an all-time high of operating in and through sensational reactions, okay? Taking action on behalf of our anger is not only encouraged, but it almost has been deemed a right. If you're angry, you have a right to show it and act upon it in whatever way you choose. That's dangerous. This morning, I want to remind you that the research that is coming out these days is finding that when we are actually attuned to our emotions when we can figure out and be present with our emotions, we can actually override the actions that come from our emotions. When we're in tune, when we realize, oh, there's anger, research is showing that we can override that and train a different response. And it's so um, just in God's nature because this research is pointing out what God has known all along, right? In Romans, Paul says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So essentially that means that when we put together what we know about our brains alongside of scripture, it gives us a recipe for a different way of operating in this world. We can renew our minds in Christ Jesus and be transformed. So when anger starts to rise and the urge to act is really present, instead of acting upon it, even if you feel confidently justified, we can instead train our brains to abide with Jesus, renew our minds in him, and operate out of a place of patience and love. Now, today we're going to journey with a pretty popular man in the Bible, Jonah, to see what we can learn about wrath and its oppositional virtue, patience. Um, so turn to your Bibles if you have those this morning to the book of Jonah. And then we're going to pray. Would you pray with me before we begin? Okay. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your body. Our desire is to see your kingdom come and your will be done. So, Spirit, would you move? Would you convict, be close, and speak to us this morning so that your kingdom may come and your will be done within us? Amen. All right. Now, some of you may be wondering if you heard me right when I said the book of Jonah Yes, you are right. Jonah can teach us a lot about anger and how to manage it. Many of us think of Jonah as the man who was swallowed by the whale, right? Because he ran away from God. And while you are right in your thinking, the story of Jonah has more to offer than the three verses it talks about the whale. (laughs) Okay, and today we're going to explore that. So I'm going to give you the abridged version of the whale story. Because everyone loves it. Um, and then we're going to read the rest of Jonah's story together. Um, and we'll finish today by acting or asking a reflective question for us to consider before we participate in communion together. Okay? Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Let's get after it. Here's the abridged version. Jonah was a prophet, an Israelite prophet. And the Lord asked him to travel to Nineveh, a city, and tell the people there that they need to repent or they would receive judgment from God. Now, Jonah didn't like what God asked of him, and so he tried to flee from God's presence, except we all know that that is not possible. He tried the, nonetheless, right? And he bought a ticket, boarded a boat, and headed off to a different city. Once Jonah was on that boat, God sent a horrible storm that was so bad that actually everyone ended up finding out about Jonah and his mission and what he was doing. The sailors on the boat came to believing in God because of this story, uh, this whole experience. But Jonah still convinced the sailors, hey, it's me, I'm the problem, throw me overboard. And against their better judgment, the sailors prayed to God, chucked him overboard, the seas immediately calmed, and God sent a whale to come and swallow Jonah up. Now in, Jonah comes to terms with his predicament um, and ends up praying to God when he is in the belly of that whale. He actually thanks the Lord for saving him. Um, And then he asks for a prayer of deliverance. And you know what? God answered him. After three days and three nights, the whale spits Jonah out onto dry land. Now, this is where we are going to pick up and read, okay? And I'm actually going to read to you the rest of the book of Jonah, okay? Two chapters. So close your eyes. Do whatever you need to do to feel comfortable in reading. If you want to picture it, close your eyes. If you want to follow along, it will be on the screen behind me. Um, But this is where we're going to pick up. starting in verse 1, chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Excuse me. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned their evil from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishment.'" And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give him shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also the many animals? That's it. The end. (laughs) Isn't that such an interesting story, especially the ending? Um, Now, a probable reason as to why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place was because the people who occupied the city of Nineveh were Assyrian. Okay? Jonah didn't want to believe that God cared about the hated and brutal Assyrian enemy, that was responsible for destroying the northern kingdom that the Israelites occupied, okay? But shockingly, Jonah actually admits that he fled from God's mission at the very beginning because he actually knew God's character. He knew that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, ready to forgive. And my mind is like, and blah, 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 blah. We know Okay? It was clear that Jonah knew God well. He just didn't like what God, God's way of operating. And he was angry about it. And much like us, in his anger, he wasn't thinking very clearly. And his amygdala overrode his prefrontal cortex. Okay, His logical, his emotional self amygdala demanded an action from God right after his affirmation of God. And his response was, kill me. It's too much. Jonah, the Israelite prophet, understanding God's nature is finding it impossible to accept that God's grace could be stronger than his personal anger and actually extend to the other. Especially the hated Assyrians who destroyed God's kingdom. Jonah's anger stopped him from reflecting the Lord's grace upon his whole people group who were in and of themselves continually being forgiven by the Lord, okay? Jonah also forgot that God's grace and forgiveness extends to him personally. Which brings me to this reflective question for us today to ponder, okay? And it's this, are you... Withholding the gospel of God's love to people that anger you. Are you withholding the gospel of God's love to people that anger you? Are there individuals or people groups who anger you so much that you disqualify them from being recipients of God's grace, his mercy, his slowness to anger, and steadfast love? Or do you disqualify yourself as well? We live in such a polarizing culture that tempts us, even as followers of Christ. Sometimes even tempts us that because we are a follower of Christ, that we are to qualify, quantify, and ration God's judgment or love to others on his behalf. When my kids drain my emotional and mental and physical tank, I can real easily be tempted to believe that their behavior or needs or ideas disqualifies them from receiving God's love through me. I can be tempted to not only be angry and withhold love from them, but I can be tempted to act in a way that probably looks a lot like wrath. Are you with me? And this is just one example containing to people I actually love, my kids. Okay? I would be humiliated and really embarrassed to share a personal example of people that choose to limit God's, that I choose to limit God's grace to just because they enrage me to the point of action. I'm sorry if you have ever been on the receiving end of my road rage. Jonah was so angry that he was blind to seeing God's grace and patience that was extended to him. He was so disassociated from his emotions that when he felt anger, he wanted to act on it. He did. He jumped jumped on a boat. He fled. God was angry too. He was angry with the people of Nineveh. That's why he asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. But God didn't ask Jonah to act upon his anger. God asked Jonah to relay a message of correction. And if we look at the story of how God responded, we can see that our trained response, the retraining that we have to do in our brain, our trained response should be that when we feel anger, we provide patience. Patience is a part of God's character. God gave Jonah a second chance to go to Nineveh. So patient. God gave the people of Nineveh a chance to change. God was patient with Jonah when he sat outside of the city to watch. Could just see him. (laughs) Let's see what happens. So patient. God gave a bush to cover Jonah. God was patient with Jonah in his anger. God engaged Jonah in personal conversation in his anger. And God patiently ends the story with an unanswered question. Which leaves it as an open-ended question for us to sort out today. Will we do any better than Jonah when it comes to resisting the temptation to act in anger? Or will we abide with Jesus? confess our feelings renew our minds in him and allow the holy spirit to work out an act of patience within us patience is a byproduct that is promised to us when we abide with jesus and are guided by the spirit galatians says this live by the spirit i say and do not gratify the desires of your flesh For what the flesh desires is opposite to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposite to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, crowding, and things like this. I am warning you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Worship team, you guys can come up as we transition into a time of response. I'm going to grab my communion because I did not. Thank you. Now, in talking about anger and wrath today... The Lord may be working on your heart. You may know exactly what he is revealing in you. Or you may need to spend some time having some conversation with him. Or you may need to confess your shortfalls and your need of a savior. The Lord is here. The Lord is there to rescue you. Now, confession is a really important spiritual discipline. And typically, within these four walls right here on a Sunday morning, we allow space for you to practice the discipline on your own. But today, I want to practice it together to have a time where everyone audibly prays and confesses their need of a Savior, to acknowledge and repent of our sins. To come to terms with the abundant need for God's grace, for mistakes, and aid us in preparation for our hearts to be cleansed by Christ's sacrifice and transformed by the Holy Spirit. It is important to hear individual voices come together in unity confessing. Confessing sets our sins or confessing our sins sets us all up on the same stage. Sinners in need of Jesus. Jeff Christopherson um, puts it this way. I love this quote in his book, Once You See. Jesus didn't die for a religion, but for sinners. All sinners. No Muslim can come to Christ ever. It's impossible. Just like no Christian can come to Christ ever. Totally impossible. Only sinners can come to christ only people who understand that their personal or religious righteousness can never repair the brokenness of their sin problem that is what jesus's death and resurrection was all about he didn't come to start a new and better religion in his name he came to do what no religion could ever do he himself god in the flesh he alone could pay the price for our sin So this morning, I thought it a a good idea to practice this prayer of confession together as we examine the sins that lie within our hearts and acknowledge together our personal need for Jesus Christ, our Savior. How this will work is this. We will pray a prayer on the screen together. Then we'll have a little moment, a quiet moment of individual prayer on your own. And then we're going to finish with participation in communion. Okay? So let's read this prayer together from Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness. According to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings. And my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Before I was brought forth in guilt and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in secret, you will make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and wipe out all my guilty deeds. Create in me clean. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your whole spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you have your communion elements with you, you can get those out and prepared. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new creation in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen.